It's time to discover your spiritual identity with your host, Mike Shree. There are hundreds of names and titles given to God's people that powerfully reveal who you are, why you exist, and what your purpose is in this world. Each one pulls back the veil of a different aspect of who you are in Christ. Once you learn these names and titles and apply them to your life, you will rise up boldly to be all that God has called you to be. Are you ready? Here's Mike Shree. There are over 2 billion people in this world who claim to be Christian, but true disciples are more challenging to find. However, this is the most used title for believers in the New Testament. Also, Jesus did not say, go and make believers of all nations. That would be more simple. He said, go and make disciples. And that's where the challenge is. And there's a huge difference between the two. Prepare to be challenged in your walk with God as we discover what it is to be disciples. This is part of your spiritual identity. This is the image that the Lord Jesus Christ is calling you to fill if you are truly following him. Now let's first visit the mandate, the supreme mandate, the great commission. Matthew chapter 28 verses 19 and 20. Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things. Notice the words, all things that I have commanded you. Jesus told his followers, his representatives, when they discipled people out of the nations to teach them everything that he had imparted to those early followers who walked with him. What a challenge this is. Now, let's go to the definition of what a disciple is. Number one, a disciple is someone who has been trained or taught. And in this particular vein of thought, it means someone who has been trained and taught by God, trained by the Holy Spirit, and instructed through the Word of God to be a follower of God. Number two, a disciple is a student who aspires to be like his teacher. And that's a challenge to image the Lord Jesus Christ in this world. And number three, a disciple is someone who accepts and assists in spreading the teachings of another. And so this includes more, this involves more than just embracing the teachings of Jesus. To be a true disciple means to help promulgate those teachings in the world. It means to have that as one of your primary goals in life, one of the passionate things that you zealously seek to fulfill. I believe already it's stirring in my heart and hopefully stirring in yours that we need to move up to the next level in our walk with God. All right, I mentioned to you that the word disciple is the most used word or most used title for believers in the New Testament. It's actually found 255 times in the New Testament. You only find the name for God's people, believers, three times. You find the word saints 
101 times in the entire Word of God. But you find the word disciples 255 times in the New Testament and one time in the Old Testament for a total of 256 times. So that's God's desire for his people above all, because whatever God emphasizes, you and I should emphasize. Now let's first explore the only time that the word disciples appears in the Old Testament. Ironically, it is a prophecy of the New Testament followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's in Isaiah chapter 8, verse 16. And this is as if the Lord Jesus Christ is speaking, but it's, of course, flowing through Isaiah as the Spirit of Christ in him testified of what was yet to come. And he said, bind up the testimony and seal the law among my disciples. And of course, the word law is a reference to the Torah. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the first five books of the Bible. Let me go back and give it to you again. Isaiah 8, 16, bind up the testimony. In other words, secure it, protect it, hold it dear to your heart. Share it whenever you can. Make sure it's not forgotten. Make sure it's not lost. Make sure it's preserved for future generations. Bind up the testimony. What testimony? The Bible said the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. In other words, tell them what I've done. Tell them what I've said because these are perpetual promises, and these are things that I will reproduce even after I'm gone in the earth. He's still a healer. He's still a deliverer. He's still a savior. He still forgives sin. So he says, bind up the testimony and seal the law. Now, to seal the law implies to close it. It's fulfilled. Put a seal on the scroll. It's no longer to be pulled out and read as the supreme authority for people's lives. Now, we do embrace the Old Testament. It is a foundation for what God would do in the New Testament. But the law was fulfilled in Christ. What a powerful prophecy. Isaiah eight sixteen, And then two verses later, it's as if Jesus is continuing in this prophetic utterance through Isaiah. The Spirit of Christ is still testifying of what will come in the new covenant. And listen to what he said. Here am I and the children whom the Lord has given me. We are four signs and wonders in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells in Mount Zion. Wow. Such a powerful statement. We are four signs and wonders. A sign is some supernatural manifestation that testifies to the reality of God or the veracity of something God has said in his word. A wonder is something that leads people awestruck, and it is given as proof of the existence of the Creator or the existence of the Savior of the world. And so Isaiah says there's some people who are going to be called disciples. They're going to carry on the testimony 
They're going to share the testimony with future generation, but they're going to exist to produce signs and wonders that will testify of the reality of Jesus Christ. Now, that doesn't always mean a supernatural miracle where someone is healed of a a terrible disease. Certainly that happens. I've seen it happen hundreds, thousands of times in our meetings through the years. But sometimes a wonder can be just the transformation of a life. Someone who was in the depth of debauchery and sin and uncleanness becoming a devoted saint of the Most High God, declaring the gospel and living out a changed life. That's a wonder. Even as David said, behold, I am as a wonder to many. So a lot of you have become a wonder to many. They wonder why you changed. They wonder how you changed. And they're filled with wonder when they discover the source of your change. And so verse 18 of Isaiah 8 refers back to verse 16. Those who are disciples are called to produce signs and wonders. They're called to be signs and wonders. Now, there's a hidden mystery here that we need to explore because I need to verify that verse 18 is actually a reference to the disciples of the New Covenant era. And that is verified in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. I'm not going to read it all, but in verse 13, that same verse is repeated as proof that a new covenant has been brought to birth in this world. Why? Because it says, here am I and the children whom God has given me. See, in the Old Testament, they did not have the provision of being born again to become sons of God. But the New Testament is all about spiritual rebirth. And so verse 18 is a verification of that in Isaiah chapter 8. Behold, I and the children whom the Lord has given me, not just citizens of the nation of Israel, but children of the Most High God. Thank God. And the potential he places in the spiritual DNA of his children is to be true disciples. This is a very interesting expansion of this whole revelation because the word translated disciple in Isaiah 8.16 is the Hebrew word lemud. I jokingly tell people that's something my wife gets in every week or two, la mood. But uh, no, she's a, a wonderful person. That was just uh, a tongue-in-cheek joke. But anyway, the Hebrew word la mood, that is translated disciple comes from the root word lamad that means to stick with a goad, a goad, G-O-A-D. What is a goad? A goad is a sharp-pointed stick that a shepherd uses to prod the backside of sheep or goats or some other kind of domestic animal in order to get them moving the right direction. And so the root word of the word that is translated disciple means to stick with a goad. How does that fit? Well, in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 11, The scripture says the words of the wise are like goads and the words of scholars are like well-driven nails 
given by one shepherd. So see, he is the chief shepherd, and he is the great shepherd of the sheep, and he gives the word of God to his subordinate shepherds, and therefore, being wise, because we are children of wisdom, our words are like goads that prod people the right direction. And so to be a disciple is to have a goad in your hand, to be someone who can direct the mindless masses of people who are wandering through this world with absolutely no idea why they're here, what the purpose of life is, or where they're going, how they need shepherds with their good at heart. And I'm not talking about just being a pastor or an evangelist or an apostle or a prophet or a teacher. Everyday Christians can have the heart of a shepherd to lead your family to the Lord, to lead your neighborhood to the Lord, to lead your city to the Lord. You can find some way of being a true disciple because a true disciple necessarily is someone who leads others the right direction. Praise God. Now, let me give you an example when this first happened. In Acts chapter 2, verse 37, it, it talks about how the crowd responded to Peter's first sermon on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came in the upper room like a rushing mighty wind, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues. And then Peter preached his first sermon, saying, Men and brethren, these are not drunk as you suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. And then he went through an explanation of how Jesus fulfilled Old Testament prophecies. And after he did that, it says in Acts 2.37, the King James Version, Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. And they said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? They were pricked in their heart because Peter had a spiritual goad in his hand, well, more correctly, in his mouth, and he prodded the people the direction of the new covenant that had just been birthed into existence. Another fantastic example is found in Acts chapter 9, verses 4 and 5. This is when the Lord Jesus Christ appeared to Saul, who was on the road to Damascus, with the intention of persecuting Christians there. And Jesus appeared to him in brilliant light, and he fell to the ground. Jesus said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he responded, Who are you, Lord? Then Jesus said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the pricks. Now that's what the King James Version says, how hard it is for you to kick against the pricks. But the New King James Version says, it is hard for you to kick against the goads. That was actually a compliment coming from the Lord to a man who was doing everything he could to stamp out Christianity. But apparently he was so passionate about truth, he was so sensitive to the Word of God, that it was working on him. He was kicking against it like a goat or like a cow may kick against a goad. But Jesus said, it's hard for you to do this. In other words, because your heart is so sensitive to what God is truly saying, I I believe Paul 
heard the words of forgiveness that flowed from Stephen's mouth, and it haunted him. When Stephen was stoned to death, and Saul consented unto his death, and he heard him say, Father, don't lay this sin to their charge. That must have stuck with him, and like a goat, it kept sticking in his heart, and it was becoming increasingly difficult for Saul to push it aside. And of course, he was saved. His name was changed to Paul. He became, I believe, the greatest apostle of the New Testament era, at least as great as Peter, but he certainly went into more territory to influence the Gentile world. Praise God. When your heart is pricked by the goad of the word of wisdom, the word of God, and it changes you, you are duty-bound to go into the world and change others. Let's go back to the original Hebrew again to discover yet an even deeper mystery that's hidden in Isaiah 8.16. Remember the word that is translated, disciples there, is lemud. Well, that same word, lemud, in the Hebrew is also translated the learned in Isaiah 50 verse 4. Now, let me quote that verse for you because we're going to learn a lot about the nature of a true disciple through this verse. Isaiah 50, verse 4. The Lord God has given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him who is weary. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to hear as the learned. And that word, learned, is a plural word. It implies many, not just one. The Lord God has given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him who is weary. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to hear as the learned. The same word this translated disciple is translated learned here, two times in this verse. So a disciple a true disciple is someone with an awakened ear and someone with an awakened tongue because he awakens me morning by morning to hear as the learned. Listen, my goal every day as a believer is to have a spirit-filled, spirit-led day. I was in a Target store yesterday and felt impressed to share the gospel with a worker there that was fixing some things on a shelf. And I walked over to him. He had helped me go find something that I was looking for in the store. We struck up a conversation and come to find out he was so ready to receive Jesus into his life. He was at that turning point. But I would never have known that just looking at him. He looked like an ordinary worker, but I felt that prick in my heart. I had an awakened ear. I heard the voice of the Holy Spirit speak to my heart, share the gospel with him. And it was a profound impact. See, we can go through our day, mundane affairs every single day, and yet God can inject supernatural guidance and leadership 
into tasks that otherwise seem boring and just necessary things that have to be done. But if you have the ear of a disciple, if you have the awakened ear of a disciple, you will also have the awakened tongue of a disciple. Because a disciple with an awakened tongue is someone who speaks under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit so that it's not you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking in you. Now, I have just one other passage that I want to share, and then we're going to close. Right after this statement about the calling to be the learned, those who are instructed by God through the Spirit and by the Word, and then they pass on that revelation insight to others. If you'll go just two more verses, then it reads this way. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious, nor did I turn away. I gave my back to those who struck me, and my cheeks to those who plucked out the beard. I did not hide my face from shame and spitting. All of a sudden, this makes it very clear that this is a messianic prophecy. It starts out saying, the Lord God has given me the tongue of the learned, the tongue of a disciple, someone who is trained and taught by God in the things of the Spirit in supernatural matters. Listen, everything Jesus said, he said, it's the Father who dwells in me that speaks those words. The words that I speak are not mine, but the Father who dwells in me. Because he walked like a disciple. He was the prototype. He was the example that we all pattern our lives after. But then he heard something with his awakened ear that wasn't easy to receive. The Lord God has opened my ear and I was not rebellious, nor did I turn away. I gave my back to those who struck me. In other words, he submitted to the torturous treatment of the final days of his walk in this world. He said, I gave my back to those who struck me, my cheeks to those who plucked out the beard. I did not hide my face from shame and spitting. Why? Because he knew it was the will of the Father for him to walk into that situation where they ultimately crucified him, and he was willing to submit to God's guidance even when it meant a complete death to self and a literal death physically. If you and I are true disciples with awakened ears, we do not consider whether or not something is dangerous. We do not consider whether or not it's something we can afford. We do not consider whether or not it's something that feels good to us to do. We just consider if it's the will of God, we're going after it. Listen, there's over 2 billion believers in the world that are believing the promises that bring salvation in their lives, but so few disciples in comparison. Why don't you take the challenge today to be one of them? And on the next episode, I'm going to be talking about the seven signs of a true disciple. Prepare to be challenged even more. It's going to change your life forever. Thank you for listening to Discover Your Spiritual Identity with Mike Shree, a podcast designed to cause a spiritual awakening in your life. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss new episodes. 
You can go deeper into this amazing revelation of the names God has given His people by getting your copy of Mike Shreve's book titled, Who Am I? Dynamic Declarations of Who You Are in Christ. We also invite you to visit our website, shreveministries.org, and sign up to be part of our global internet family, a group of on-fire believers who are bold to proclaim, I am who God says I am, I have what God says I have, and I will be what God says I will be. 